0: It's great to see you tonight. Those of you that are here with us on campus, we're glad that you could join us. And for those of you that are joining us via live stream and Facebook Live, we'd like to say welcome to you as well. I want to make a few announcements this evening. Uh, first of all, we want to remind you that this coming Sunday, uh, the third brother, Chris Gonzalez, will be with us and speaking in our 11 a.m. service. It's going to be a great day. And also, the following Sunday, December 10th, our Grace Christmas banquet will be held at Forest Grove from six to nine that evening, and there has been a category set up on Easy tithe for you to pay. And once again, for all of our uh, children that are age five or under, it's free. Or ages, uh, if they're under five, it's free. Ages five to twelve, the cost is seven fifty. Ages thirteen and up, it's fifteen dollars. And Brother David Becton will be with us that evening, and we ask that you please. If you haven't already done so and you would like to attend, please pay by Sunday, December 3rd. Then the following Sunday, December 17th, uh, we want everyone to join us for our Grace Christmas service and uh, our 11 a.m. service that morning. And also, please remember that that Sunday, the 17th, we will receive our Christmas for Christ offering. Tis the season. Okay. Tis the season. And uh, it is it is here whether you um, whether you are ready or not. Uh, there have been a few packages arriving at the Cooper household. Some of which I was told distinctly do not open that. So uh, my my curiosity is piqued, and I hope uh, those things are happening for you as well. You know Jesus often quoted Scripture, but only on one occasion. That we can find in scripture do we actually see him selecting and reading from scripture and what portion of scripture did Jesus, uh, Jesus choose to read publicly well it's found in Luke four eighteen, where he said the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor to proclaim freedom for the prisoners recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free So Jesus said, I'm here to give good news for the poor, not the rich, not the put-together, not the religious, not the successful, but the destitute, the ones living without, the ones with holes in their clothes, the ones with hunger pangs in their bellies. I've come to preach freedom for the prisoners, the ones who are still in chains, the ones who are trapped, the ones who are stuck, the ones who are still bound, the ones who are still helpless. I've come to preach the recovery of sight for the blind, healing for the ones who can't see their own way out, for the ones who can't fix themselves, for the ones who are still stumbling around in the darkness, those ones. And I've come to preach freedom for the oppressed, the outcasts, the disenfranchised, the ones who have been beat down and mistreated and taken advantage of by the systems of this world, the poor, the prisoners, the blind, and the oppressed. That's who Jesus chose to speak to on purpose. Y'all think about it. God bless you this evening.
1: And we do hope that everybody is preparing to have a wonderful Christmas season. And as Brother Jason said, ready or not, here it comes. And uh, always look forward to the Christmas season. Thank God for the hope we have. Thank God for the hope he brought. And uh, I could not imagine trying to navigate our world and what we know about it, what's going on in our world and what have you without knowledge of the Word of God and our relationship with Him and what have you. Um, God help those that do not know Him and I'm thankful that I do. I feel very privileged uh, out of all the millions, billions of people around the world that Somehow the gospel made it to my doorstep, the doorstep of my family, and I am so very grateful uh, to know the Lord Jesus Christ tonight, and I'm sure you feel the same way. Uh, Great to see you. Thank you all for being here so very much, and um, uh, tonight we'll wrap up uh, our presentation on prophecy. Um, However... I am praying about and and trying to navigate uh, a dynamic uh, through which we can engage more uh, into prophecy uh, after the first of the year, it will probably be into February at some point but uh, as we are able to navigate that we'll certainly keep all of you posted. It would probably involve the adult Sunday School class uh, is the dynamic I'm looking at and my goal would be to uh, just very systematically very methodically go through the book of Revelation uh, having to do uh, with <clears throat> the future of our world uh, as it comes to the rapture uh, and then immediately following the rapture, particularly the tribulation period. Uh, The book of Revelation covers that. I believe it's uh, chapters six through 18. I believe it is off the top of my head. So uh, uh, just remember that, think about it. But tonight we'll uh, conclude our presentation on prophecy uh, until uh, we can uh, put together a dynamic uh, through which we can teach the Book of Revelation next year. Um, again, I feel like the timing is is right for it. Uh, I believe our world is absolutely postured right now for uh, the rapture of the church, and um, I don't know of much of anything that has to happen. I don't know of anything that's really precluding that from happening. Only the grace and mercy of God. I. I was having a conversation with somebody a couple of months ago about this. There's going to come a time, obviously, logically, that a person is going to be born again, and God is going to say that's, that's it. Uh, Gabriel, blow the trumpet. I don't, it would be interesting to know who that person is somewhere in eternity, that you were the last one that was filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost before the trumpet sounds. And I'm sure it grieves the heart of God. And I'm sure, in my mind, I like to think this way anyway, that God has wanted to say, go ahead and, and blow that trumpet. No, wait. If we wait, there'll be 10,000 more people be filled with my spirit tomorrow. And so he waits. Uh, the Bible does set precedent for that. That in the days of Noah when the ark was being built the Bible said when once the long suffering of God waited um, that's an incredible thought for the long suffering of God to be put on pause to give Noah another day to preach to give him another opportunity to reach the people around him and I believe in my heart tonight that's God's posture right now that if he he had come last week, if he had come last Wednesday night, think of all the people around the world that wouldn't have made it because they had just been filled with the Holy Ghost this week. It's a thought to think about, but at some point, um, God will say that's enough and uh, the rapture will take place and then this huge biblical process of prophecy will begin to unfold as the book of Revelation says that it will. I want to uh, present to you tonight, uh, I'll be reading from Luke chapter 21 and verse 29, Luke twenty-one twenty-nine. 29, uh, it's where Jesus spake to them a parable and he said in verse 29, behold the fig tree and all the trees that when they now shoot forth you see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand so likewise ye when you see these things come to pass know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand and then he said in verse 32 verily I say unto you this generation everybody say this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled The generation he's talking about is a generation in which the the fig tree begins to shoot forth. He said, you know that summer is nigh and what have you. The generation that the nation of Israel comes back together again is what he's prophesying here in this parable. He said, the generation that that happens in would not pass till all these things be fulfilled. And then he made a very bold and a very powerful statement. Especially for those who choose not to believe it. He said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. In other words, what he has said here is going to happen. It doesn't matter. I've said this before throughout this presentation over the past number of Wednesday nights. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world, it doesn't matter who's president, who's king, who's dictator. It doesn't matter when God is ready to pull the trigger on these things, particularly those things found in the book of Revelation, those things pertaining to the, uh, to the country of Israel. It doesn't matter who's who, what's what. It doesn't matter who has the biggest army. It doesn't matter who's the most favored politically. It doesn't matter. When God is ready for all this to happen, it will happen exactly like he said it would happen. We all know tonight that there were several hundred prophecies fulfilled throughout the life of Christ. And most of them fulfilled throughout His crucifixion, through His resurrection and ascension. Everything the Bible said would happen or would not happen, happened. It didn't matter who the king of Israel was. It didn't matter who the Caesar of Rome was. It didn't matter what was going on in Egypt and Syria and and Greece and all these. It didn't matter. When God was ready to robe himself in flesh and be born of a woman, it happened when he was ready for it to happen. And then he caused things to happen to facilitate it. And that's what he's doing in our world right now. Somehow, and I don't understand it, but all this business going on in the Middle East right now, somehow... That a stage is being set to facilitate what I'm going to present to you tonight. In some way, somehow, God is using all of these players to facilitate what He wants to do uh, ultimately on, on this planet. So I want to speak to you for a little while tonight. I'd like to present to you tonight the, the preparation for the Messiah. I hope everybody will hear these things now is not a good time to be playing around in your relationship with God now is not a time to know that you have things in your life that (laughs) that you need to get worked out and to get it straight between you and God now is not a good time to put that off it's all around us folks and just because we have it good here in America and particularly in our state doesn't mean that's a sign for us to sit back and relax and say, I've just got the rest of my life to do whatever I want to do. We don't have that much time, I don't believe. So let's begin tonight. The first temple was built by King Solomon, as we all know here tonight, circa nineteen fifty-seven or excuse me, nine fifty-seven BC. It was destroyed about thirty years later in 587 B.C. by Babylon. Construction of the second temple began in about 537 B.C. and it was called Zerubbabel's temple. It was nowhere near, not even close to what Solomon's temple was for them and when you read particularly the books the the minor prophets at the end of the Old Testament Haggai, Haggai and so on you will find that some of those elders remembered Solomon's temple and they were so discouraged and and just heartsick that they lost that temple and now they can't build anything remotely close to it but they indeed they did build a temple it was called Zerubbabel's temple and then as we uh, traverse through the 400 years between the old and new testament and then the the, the, the four Gospels brings to us a tremendous story of a beautiful temple that was called Herod's Temple. It was originally Zerubbabel's Temple, and Herod, King Herod added on to it, and it became massive. And again, it was nowhere near what Solomon's Temple was, but when Herod got done with it, it was something that the Jewish people across the board was very proud of. As a matter of fact, the disciples were... Excited to take Jesus, the Bible said, and show him the buildings of the temple. And that's when he began to launch into a lot of his prophetic dissertation of the future, found mainly in in Luke 21 and Matthew 24. But even Herod's temple, as it became known, the one visited by Jesus in his time of earthly ministry, it was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. I'm pointing this out to show you tonight that since 70 AD, the Jewish people have not had a temple. And this is something that is very important to them, obviously. But even more so, it's something very important to Jesus. There has to be a temple in Jerusalem again at some point for a major portion of the prophetical to come to pass. And that will be my a lot of my focus here tonight. The Bible has numerous prophecies that foretell the building of a third temple. Keep in mind you have Solomon's temple, Zerubbabel slash Herod's temple, that's two. There's going to be a third. Um, It's my understanding, it's my very clear understanding from people I know and trust that has been to the nation of Israel, that's been to Jerusalem. Uh, In addition to that, I've done a lot of research through the years on this subject. Uh, I submit to you today that most of the temple is built already. A lot of people don't want to believe that. I believe there's people that when it comes to prophecy want to live in denial. But I will assure you, and I've seen pictures of it, um, a lot of the temple, the third temple, is already built. I want to remind all of us here tonight, and I'm very adamant on this point. You say, well, they don't have access to the temple mount. You have to remember in the Old Testament, and if you study the construction of Solomon's temple, it was done off-site. It was brought in prefab, if you will. It was all constructed, it was the stones was carved, all the uh, items in it that was overlaid in gold was overlaid in gold and so on. All that was done off-site, and it was brought in and assembled on site. And it's very interesting to me that the third temple, in my opinion, my very strong opinion, will be done much the same way. Um, I don't want to stretch this too far. I give a lot of honor and credit to what is Zerubbabel slash Herod's temple. But God was really concerned and he was blessed by the tremendous vision of David and Solomon to build what is known as Solomon's temple. And it's a shame that that structure was destroyed. It would be, I believe, one of the wonders of the world, the value of it. Is astronomical. The size of it was unbelievable. And in a way, I don't want to stretch this tonight, but in a way, that first temple was kind of a like the first Adam. The second temple will be where Jesus reveals himself to the Jewish people. Literally, the second temple will be a fulfillment to the Jewish people of God himself, because that is the platform he will use to reveal himself again to the Jewish people. That's why this temple is so important. It is a huge hub around which all of the events of the tribulation period will revolve. So I want everybody to understand tonight that from research, from people I know and trust that I've talked to, Most of the new temple that is going to be built in Jerusalem at some point in the future, most of it is already constructed, and it is kept in storage, off-site. And when they're ready to build it on the Temple Mount, however that is going to occur, I don't know. I'm going to show you some pictures in just a moment. I don't know how it's going to happen. God does. All I'm going to tell you tonight, is going to happen. How it happens, I don't know, but it's going to happen. And it will be brought in and constructed according to the prophecy of the Scripture. I also know tonight through research that there is already a new generation of Levite priests that are being trained and have been trained for service in the third temple. And they have been trained after the order of the law of Moses to literally set up And facilitate worship as it was done in the law of Moses and ultimately in Solomon's temple. Uh, There's Levites that's already been trained for that. I also understand and I've seen pictures of it uh, via the internet. There's four cornerstones to the temple uh, that is uh, planned to be used. Uh, I've seen pictures of those. Uh, They have already been blessed or dedicated for that cause and purpose. They're huge, and they are hidden, and they are in storage. It's very interesting to me that this process of building the temple is proceeding. There's only a small percentage of the Jewish people that are considered Orthodox Jews That really believe in this. A lot of this is still. A lot of the Jewish people are just blinded. Period. By the Messiah. A lot of them are very worldly and sinful and what have you. But there is a remnant. In Jerusalem right now. That know wholeheartedly with all of their heart. That their Messiah is coming. And they're going to do everything in their power. To be prepared for him. When he comes. They will not be blindsided again. They'll know him. The next time he comes so a lot of the temple is already built so as in ancient biblical times the Jews have begun preparing for the temple they've built it they're in my opinion from what I understand they're ready and waiting for the opportunity to begin laying the foundation for it And in all of the chaos that's going on in the Middle East and around our world, it has not distracted them. It has not discouraged them. They know He's coming. And they're preparing for that. I will tell you tonight, it will happen. It will. God said it would happen, and it will. If the third temple is not built, then the God of Israel does not exist. For if so, He is a liar. I present to you tonight that that temple is going to be built. It doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what it's doing. Jesus the Messiah will return in the near future. Faithful, believing servants in Israel are preparing for the Messiah's return. God is providing the knowledge and supernatural events to ensure that the preparations will be complete. And they will be ready as much as possible when Messiah's foot touches on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. Jesus told us of the end of the dispensation of grace and the discourse he presented on the Mount of Olives in Matthew 24, Luke Luke 21, and Mark 13 through the parable that I just read to you, the parable of the fig tree. He told us, that this generation will not pass till all these things be fulfilled. He assured Jerusalem, he assured Israel, the Jews, and us that he would return. He said, when you see these things come to pass. So most persons who study prophecy and do not confuse themselves with other unsupportable theories such as preterism. If you don't know anything about that, don't worry about it. But we believe in the countdown is, for his return has begun. He is going to reunite with the covenant people, the Jews. He has already restored their, 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 the covenant he's made with them to bring them back to their native land of Israel. He did that in May of 1948. We taught on that several weeks ago. That's a huge prophecy that's already come to pass. And he said the generation in which that happens will not pass till all these things be fulfilled. And I believe that we are this generation which we will see our Lord appearing in the clouds to call his church home. We believe in his second coming and it will be at the end of the seven-year tribulation period and we've taught on that Jesus will return accompanied by a host of heavenly beings angels and saints resurrected and raptured believers a lot of people think this is bogus I do not I wholeheartedly believe in the rapture of the church and then the second coming of Christ at the end of the tribulation period when I was in Israel in 1999, I took a photograph. I was standing in the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm standing when I took this picture. Uh, I'm sorry for its quality. The quality back then, what nearly what it is now. I bought one of them real expensive cameras that you just is what it is. But I was standing there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is the Eastern Gates that we taught on a couple of Wednesday nights ago. And right in front of that is a cemetery. And it was just absolutely phenomenal to stand in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed that night. There are olive trees in the Garden of Gethsemane that they the Jews have dated to be 2,000 years old. And they believe that, that those same trees was there the night he prayed in that garden but to stand there and to look at that site and to know that those gates will not be opened. They have been closed for almost 2,000 years and they will not be opened again until the Messiah comes and they will open them for him to walk through. And straight in that, when you go straight into that eastern gate, If you see that, hump, I don't know if y'all can see that or not. I'll have a better picture coming in a minute. That's the Dome of the Rock. That's where the the Muslim temple is. Um, And Jesus will come through there. I'm sorry, I got that backwards. I'm standing in the Garden of Gethsemane. Behind me is the Mount of Olives. He will step foot on the Mount of Olives, come down the mountain, go through those gates there's the Dome of the Rock right there. There's going to be a temple right there. He'll walk through those gates. He'll go into that temple, and he will reveal himself to the Jewish people. Not only is there Messiah, listen to pastor tonight, at the end of the tribulation period, he will not just reveal himself to the Jewish people, but he will, he will proclaim himself to be the king of kings. And I'm going to come back to that in just a moment if we have time. He will descend from heaven to set foot on the Mount of Olives. Uh, If we can look at the next photograph, thank you. Uh, You can see a far better picture than what I took, Uh, but I will show you in this picture, this is from the Mount of Olives, this photograph, whoever took it did a fine job. And right there is the Eastern Gates, and you can see better, whoever took this picture was at a much higher elevation than I was, that's the Eastern Gates. And the temple will be right there. So it'll be a, a relatively short walk from the eastern gates up. This is the temple mount, right in there. It's about seven acres. And there will be a temple setting right there. And the doors of that temple, the entrance to it, will be facing the eastern gates. And he will walk in and proclaim himself as the king of kings. Uh, he will return to earth literally and in bodily form to the Mount of Olives <clears throat> as shown in this picture. He will go through the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm sure his mind will wander and he will remember that night that he cried, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He'll go through the, the Brook Kidron again and then enter through the Eastern Gate. The last time he made this journey, he was on his way to be crucified. This time He's coming to be the King of Kings. Um, as we know, uh, this site is obstructed right now with uh, the Dome of the Rock, etc. cetera, to, and, and they've closed the gates and they've established a cemetery in front of it to keep the Messiah from entering Jerusalem, but that will not stop him. Again, he will walk through those eastern gates, if you can show the next photograph, into a newly built third temple He will then rule the earth, the Bible said, for 1,000 years, the millennial kingdom, the millennial reign, uh, whatever you choose to call it. Those who understand the season in which we live are preparing for the Messiah's return. What you're seeing on the the screen is what the Jews are ultimately aiming for. If they can get that, if they can get that built. And again, I remind you that from my understanding, uh, most of that is already... Uh, built in in kind of a prefab form it's in storage it's hidden Uh, nobody really knows the location and parts of it are spread out all over the nation of Israel they'll bring it to that site construct it and it will be ready in time for Jesus to return to that Uh, the Bible teaches that we will be with him uh, when he does that so in this presentation tonight As we understand that preparations for all of this is underway. uh, I want to show you tonight to the best of my ability just a little bit of what they have done. What is already done not what they're doing is what they've already done uh, to show you how the Jews are preparing for his return. Uh, So I'll present just a few of the preparations being made to make the Messiah feel welcome upon his return to rule as king of kings and lord of lords. Know that this is only a sample of their preparations. Um, if you'll go to the next photograph, the third temple, you'll see the Dome of the Rock right there. Again, the third temple must be built on the temple mount and it will be constructed somewhere in that immediate vicinity of the structure you're seeing on the screen right now. Um I've believe i heard uh, Brother Lee Stone King has affirmed it, uh, several other uh, ministers that I know and trust. I've I've heard uh, people, I've I've read and researched, and I've listened to people and what have you. They actually believe, and I saw it when I was there. Um, I don't know if if our media team, if y'all can hang with me for a minute. If y'all can go back for a moment to the picture that I took. It would be the very first picture I'd like to show you this is what I noticed I'm standing the God the Mount of Olives is behind me I'm in the Garden of Gethsemane there's the Eastern Gate the Dome of the Rock is over there and when I looked at this I'm thinking the temple needs to be over here more in alignment with that Eastern Gate it's gonna go straight through to the temple you see the Dome at the top of it right here I believe the temple is gonna be in here somewhere I believe Jesus God has the ability to work this out. You can go back to the Dome of the Rock picture. Thank you. Um, you remember the story when the Philistines captured the Ark of Covenant and they put it in their temple next to Dagon, their idol god, and they woke up the next morning and Dagon was flat on his face and crumbled and they put him all back together and stood him up next to the Ark of Covenant and they got, came back the next day and he's flat on his face again and the Philistines got the point. We got to get rid of this Ark of Covenant thing. And they shipped it back, put it on a cart, and let a cow pull that thing, guided by God, all the way back to Jerusalem. It's an amazing thing to me. It's so amazing to me. I believe they could build that temple next door to that thing you're seeing on the screen. And come back the next day and that thing would be flat on the ground. That's the way I see it. I don't know what's going to happen, uh, but God is going to take care of it. If we move on to the next photograph, this temple will be completely constructed and put into use by the first half of the tribulation. As we know, and I've mentioned briefly uh, several Wednesday nights ago, it will be desecrated by the Antichrist, he will, he will deceive the Jews that he is the Christ, but when he goes to offer. Uh, sacrifice, I believe, the ashes of the red heifer. Uh, when he goes to offer that, the Jews are going to realize that he is a fraud. They're going to break their covenant with him. And at that time, he will begin to recruit the rest of the world to annihilate the Jewish people off the planet and literally push them into the Mediterranean Sea. Folks, that I, I have taught this. I'm not a prophecy teacher. But I have taught this years ago. The Bible indicates that between the satellite nations around the northern part of Africa, uh, in that Arab Middle East, Syria, uh, other nations, along with Russia and China, they're going to join up. This is going to be the Battle of Armageddon. Their goal is to push every Jewish person in Israel, literally, into the Mediterranean Sea. When people began to protest just a few weeks ago, to push them into the sea it did something to my heart they're already thinking this way who told them that so this temple you're seeing on the screen must be completely constructed and put into use by the first half of the tribulation it will be desecrated by the antichrist and so on so active preparations are being made by the temple institute and others in jerusalem and i'd like to show you uh, just a brief sample tonight of some of the things that they have already in preparation for the Messiah. I will not show you tonight a brazen altar because their focus is not going to be the sacrifice of a lamb on the brazen altar. It's going to be the sacrifice of that red cow that we talked about several weeks ago. And that must be done outside the camp. It'll be done outside of Jerusalem and its ashes will be brought back. Uh, So you will not notice a a brazen altar uh, tonight uh, in this presentation. So if you'll go to the next picture, uh, thank you Heston, I believe that's who that is. Um, You're seeing on the screen, of course, the Ark of Covenant. Uh, There's a lot of controversy about it. I personally believe they have the Ark of Covenant still in their possession from Solomon's Temple. I still believe they have it. The Jews were excellent, beyond excellent. Uh, When they were surrounded by an enemy, After Solomon's temple was built, they took all the artifacts out of the temple. They took every piece of furniture, everything, and they hid it underground. And they put fake stuff back in the temple. So when they would be raided by an enemy, whoever it was, the enemy would take all this stuff and think they took all of this stuff away from Israel. They were getting a fake, a counterfeit. Israel was smart enough uh, to hide this stuff. I saw in, in, my, in my tour, it was about literally three stories deep in the ground, the Israel that existed, uh, they believe it, was, it is literally the cornerstone of Solomon's temple. I saw it. It's about 40 feet long. It's about 12 feet high, and they believe it's about 15 to 20 feet deep. Uh, they do not know, have any record of how they got a stone that size to that site. It seems virtually impossible. But uh, a lot of people believe that the Ark of Covenant, um, I understand that one of the, the very high-ranking people at the Temple Institute, what have you, uh, told one of our uh, apostolic preachers, he said, I have been close enough to the Ark of Covenant to touch it. He didn't. He knew better. But he said, I have seen it with my own eyes. And uh, I believe they have it. I, I believe the Jewish people are very careful about this. They're not going to let that be destroyed. But this is a, just something the Temple Institute shows you. It's, it's literally, you can buy small versions of it as a little artifact or souvenir to bring home with you, whatever. But this is their symbol of the power and presence of God. And they will know and understand. And it makes me want to run the aisles right now to think about it. They're not going to need that. They're not going to need that. At the end of the tribulation period they're going to have a physical embodiment of the power of god in the person of jesus christ they're not going to need that box they think they need it but they're not going to need it uh but as you know the process of the law of moses and i'm quickly running out of time and i've got a ways to go Um, he would come in once a year Uh, they call it yom kippur now but it was called the day of atonement then the high priest would enter to the Holy of Holies one time a year, take the blood from the sacrifice the, the lamb out on the brazen altar and sprinkle it where between those angels wings touching on what is called the mercy seat, if God accepted that sacrifice outside when the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat fire would come down out of heaven and consume it I hope all of you understand that, I'll have time to go into it uh, but it was made of shittim wood covered with gold and in it was the uh, two tablets of stone of the law brought down from, um, from Mount Sinai by Moses it had a vessel containing manna and it had the staff of Aaron and uh, these were very precious to the Jewish people and uh, it represented the presence of God, let me hurry on uh, if you can show the next photograph I want to show you tonight the, this is very important to the Jewish people um, I'm going to talk about this part right here the crown. Not the white thing on top, just right here. I want to talk about that and you can see another representation of it right there. Uh, They have this already and uh, it is the crown of the high priest. It is one part of the four parts of golden garments of the high priest and it is fashioned from one piece of solid pure gold. The crown is worn across the forehead, extending from ear to ear, as is shown in the picture you see seeing on the screen. It is held in place by a string dyed in the same blue color as used in all the high priest's garments. The crown bears the inscription, Holy to God, and it is worn by the high priest at all times while he is officiating in the temple. They are preparing Levites, as I said, to serve in this capacity. But they do understand, and I believe they understand, that they're not going to need a high priest that day. When Jesus comes at the end of the tribulation period, they understand that he will be their high priest and he will cleanse them and uh, restore them. You can go to the next photograph. This is the garment of the high priest. I believe it's beautiful and there's so much symbolism. For those in our, my Sunday school class, we'll be going through this and It'll take me a while to get to it, as you probably figured out, but we'll go through the uh, robe of the high priest and what have you. But I want to point out that uh, breastplate that he is wearing. uh, In it are 12 different stones right here, and uh, they're all made out of a different type of stone, and they represent the 12 tribes of Israel, and they were worn close to the heart of the high priest. I want to tell you folks tonight, God has that nation of Israel in the palm of his hand. He, that is his people, and he is going to come and redeem them. And he is not going to allow them to be annihilated off of this planet. He hasn't yet. Many have tried to get rid of them, and they can't. He's not going to allow it to happen. But this is the uniform that the high priest uh, wore. They do have the garment for the high priest. It is prepared. They have the crown that he's going to wear that says holy to God. They have all the other high priest garments. I will tell you tonight, our tour guide told us when we were there in 1999, even back then, they have already made harps that the people from the tribe of Judah can play. They tune them every day to make sure they're ready for when their Messiah returns. These people are waiting anxiously. They go to that Wailing Wall, that West Wall, Uh, And they pray every day, every day, every day, every day. Uh, Let me hurry on if we can go to the next photograph. This is the... um, Something happened. Can you go to the seven golden candlestick one? Heston? Thank you, sir. Um, This is the seven golden candlesticks. They call it the menorah. Um, there's something I would like to uh, point out here um, that I, I find to be very interesting uh, about the seven golden candlesticks. I don't know if you folks can keep up with me on this or not, but, but please try. If y'all can assume with me tonight, if you can see this piece of paper I'm holding, assume this is, um, this faces east. And this is the Moses tabernacle. Let's just do it that way. This part, this first two thirds part is the holy place. And this back one third part is the holy of holies. And this is where the Ark of Covenant would be. Inside here are three pieces of furniture, the seven golden candlesticks, the altar of incense and the table of showbread. Uh, When the priest would go into the holy place, immediately to his left, would be the seven golden candlesticks and as he turned to face walking in and then turned to face them they would be facing him if you will that western that most far away candle we could just use this one as an example it would not be closest to the door where he just came in it would be closest to the veil between the holy place and the Holy of Holies, or the Holy of Holies. He would make sure that candle was clean, the flame was burning correctly, everything was right with that westernmost candlestick. And I believe the reason he attended to that one first is that was the one closest to the Holy of Holies, closest to the presence of God. In other words this is a type of the church it's a type of the seven churches of Asia Minor Revelation 2 & 3 I believe God knows if he can keep at least one church on fire for him he can get the other six lit up in a matter of time if he can find a priest a preacher a pastor to keep one on fire he can get the rest of them going bright Uh, it's interesting to me the priest didn't attend to the middle one first he attended the one most westerly, which would be back towards the Holy of Holies, uh, et cetera. Just wanted to point that out to you. Now, Heston, if you would, go to the Brazen Laver photo number nine. This is a Brazen Laver. Uh, if you read and study Solomon's temple, David's vision and Solomon brought it to pass. To him, the, the, the temple, the, of the tabernacle of Moses wasn't nearly big enough. And it wasn't nice enough and uh, David's vision was to build a brazen laver and a brazen altar outside the temple. This piece was outside of the Holy of Holies. Build it huge, astronomically huge and of course this is water in this temple. It was built in out of glass or, 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 or metals that would reflect the image of the one looking down into it. It's a perfect type of water baptism but this will be used The Jews believe, and it's being prepared uh, for their cleansing, for their ceremonial cleansing with the ashes of the red heifer, which they have to be put in water and so on. So, you have the the high priest goes by the brazen laver. I believe they'll use some form of that when the Messiah comes. He'll walk into the Holy of Holies. You'll see the seven golden candlesticks on the left. Uh, On the right hand side, if you'll go to the table of showbread, photo 11, on the see walks in the front door the candlesticks are over here the table of showbreads over here there were 12 loaves of bread to be kept on that table uh, all week uh, and they represented the 12 tribes of Israel they also represented the Word of God Uh, it was um, bread made it was the the priest when they baked it was required to put frankincense on top of it which gave it a very bitter taste but it was very nourishing to them. Those of you that were in Sister Murphy's bread class a couple of Sunday nights ago, uh, the, the symbolism and the literal fulfillment of this is absolutely phenomenal. Um, the things that she said about the bread that she's introduced to most of you, um, it's very, it, it's, it was so nurturing, but it, it wasn't good to the taste and God made it that way. It's a type of the word of God and it's not always good to the taste, but it does everything we need be done on the inside Uh, these things are being prepared and then probably the most special piece of furniture in the holy place in photo number 12 was the altar of incense Um, I'm I'm gonna have to keep moving Uh, I'm I'm out of time Um, to me this is where if you have the church on the left the table of showbread the Word of God on the right the altar of incense is where these would intersect, with a line coming from the door of the brazen altar, brazen laver, come on through, and ahead would be the ark of covenant, it forms a cross, and this is the intersection of that cross, and it represents prayer and worship and praise. It's an incense they offered unto the Lord. There's was three types of fire, in the. Uh, uh, tabernacle plan the brazen altar was a destructive fire it consumed the sacrifice the seven golden candlesticks was a fire of illumination and this fire was a fire on the altar of incense was for revelation you get a revelation of God through prayer praise worship and so on and then as we know the priest would go on beyond the veil to the holy of holies there will not be a veil in my opinion, there might be a curtain, uh, but there's no point for the veil as they had in the uh, tabernacle of Moses because it was rent in Twain, and um, it, it serves no purpose. None of that is in effect anymore. Uh, the Jews will probably do it, but I believe God will show them when he comes in the person of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is the literal, complete embodiment of every piece every article, everything about the tabernacle. He is that. He is the fulfillment of everything that temple represents. They don't need a temple anymore. He is the temple. He is all that they need. Let me cover one more thing quickly, and then um, we'll stop. I want to talk to you tonight about anointing oil, and I, I don't have a slide for that. Thank you, Heston. Um, I don't have a slide for that, but Jesus' title is the anointed one of God. Uh, That is his title. It's what the word or the title Messiah means, is the anointed one, the anointed one of God. In Hebrew, the anointed one is Messiah. In Greek, the anointed one is Christ. So when you read in the Old Testament, when it talks about the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Messiah, in the New Testament, it's Christ. It's Jesus, in my opinion, is his earthly name given to him by, officially by the priest on his day of dedication and circumcision and what have you. But Christ is his divine name, represents his human nature and his divine nature. If you don't agree with that, that's fine. I'm not going to dispute it with anybody. Um, but he was anointed. I want to spend just a couple of minutes on the anointing oil because there's, there's a point I want to make here. Anointing oil has been practiced throughout the Bible, and we practice it today. It has been practiced for several thousand years, literally. Uh, priests were anointed in Exodus 28, 41. Kings were anointed in Leviticus and 1 Samuel 15:1. and prophets were anointed. I want you to understand that priests, kings and prophets were anointed. And the first time Jesus came in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the first time he came as a Messiah God in flesh was crucified, etc. He came representing those three offices: priest, king and prophet. The Bible set a precedent that in the Old Testament especially, priests, kings and prophets were anointed. When Jesus came, as God robed in flesh, he was anointed for those three offices and he served in those three offices. He was prince, he was priest, and he was prophet. They wanted to give him the title of king and he wouldn't allow it. I want you to notice tonight, and I'm concluding, in his second coming when he comes to save the nation of Israel from being shoved into the sea at the Battle of Armageddon, he would come and destroy all the armies of the earth with the brightness of his coming and so on. In his second coming, I want you to hear that his offices will be changed. He will no longer have the title of Prince of Peace. He'll be replaced by the King of Kings. Y'all understand that? He'll be the Prince of Peace. But he's going to be promoted this time because the Jews will see him as king. They will anoint him as king, and he will accept that anointing. Uh, he will also be not just a priest to go fulfill the law of Moses and so on but he will literally be eternal priest the Bible teaches after the order of Melchizedek tremendous Bible study in that and then he will no longer be our prophet or be a prophet because he is now the embodiment of all prophecy he fulfills all prophecy just by his second coming he fulfills all prophecy so Jesus is anointed, but they are going to want to anoint him. Now, this is what I want you to see, and then I'm I'm done. The Lord gave Moses formula for anointing oil in Exodus chapter 30, verses 22 through 34. The formula or recipe very simply was given to Moses for the highly fragrant anointing oil, and it consisted of five ingredients. The number five in the Bible represents grace. How to get that so it's a type of grace he came to manifest grace and he still is and this anointing oil is a type of the grace of God it's made of liquid myrrh sweet smelling cinnamon sweet smelling cane cassia and olive oil at the time of Jesus anointing oil included a highly fragrant persimmon sap and this tree is now extinct But in the late 1980s, archaeologists uncovered a jug of anointing oil from the Dead Sea Cave in proximity where the scrolls were, and they have proven that this oil is from the time of Jesus. Test has confirmed the authenticity of the formulation of that anointing oil. So now they have that major component to them to anoint their Messiah, and they have original oil, from the Old Testament in their possession, you can believe all this if you want to. I believe it with all of my heart, because if God wants anything preserved, He will preserve it, and He'll make. He's going to make all this happen, just like He said He would. And uh, we have too much proof already of prophecy that's come to pass to deny any of this is coming to pass. I want to be ready when he comes. How about you? Thank the Lord. I'm thankful I began with this. I'll conclude with this. I'm thankful for the hope that I have in him. I'm glad I know him. I feel privileged to be a child of God tonight, filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and doing my best to be ready for the rapture. How about you? Thank the Lord. Why don't we stand and give the Lord some praise tonight for just being good to us and revealing to us his beautiful word of God. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Thank you all for being here. Held you a little bit longer than I wanted to and uh, didn't get to finish. We'll finish it at some point in the future. God bless you. Uh, You're dismissed, and we'll hope to see you all Sunday. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.